You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spate. We live at a difficult time in a difficult world. I'm not talking so much about the pandemic that has just added to everything that's going on. But in 2020, the U.S. uh, did a census. I'd like to talk to you about some of the results of that census, specifically about divorce rates. Today, 2020, 50% of all marriages, one in two end in divorce. Now the way that breaks down first time marriages end in divorce about 41% of the time. Second time marriages, if you divorce and then remarry, end in divorce about 60% of the time. And third time marriages, 73% of the time. About three out of every four third-time marriages end in divorce. What that boils down to is every 13 seconds, somebody in America divorces. One way of expressing that that I read, by the time it takes a couple to recite their wedding vows, do you, I do, do you, I do, six people have divorced on an average. Now, the good news is these rates show a decline in divorce. It has been higher. The bad news is it's declining because marriage itself is also declining. Top reasons given for divorce, a lack of commitment, money problems, Infidelity. Some just say they argue too much. Unrealistic expectations. Domestic violence. Those are the top six reasons given for divorce. As a result, 43% of children in the United States today are being raised without a father. The death rate in people who have divorced is very similar to the death rate of smokers. So it's just like taking up cigarettes. It's a serious issue. We live at a difficult time in a difficult world. So did Jesus. Divorce was not unknown in Jesus' time. In fact, it was relatively common in Jesus' time. So much so, we we have no idea what the rates actually were during Jesus' time, but we do know that a lot is written about 
divorce, how to, and whether or not you can remarry. So with that in mind, let's start reading here in Mark chapter 10. We'll read just the first two verses. Then Jesus left Capernaum, and he went down into the region uh, of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. So some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Now, we've talked about two rabbis that lived about 70, 75 years before Jesus, before. Their names were Hillel and Shammai. And they debated back and forth about reasons for divorce. Shammai took a very straight, hard line. The only reason for divorce is marital infidelity. Hillel was a little bit more liberal. He said, no, if a husband is upset with his wife, he can also divorce her. Some of the reasons that he gave for divorce was if the wife burns the husband's breakfast. <laughs> Jesus sided with Shammai. <laughs> a little bit later on in this passage, he talks about that. Now, divorce is a reality. We're talking about this. I, I don't want to make you feel bad over what's happened in your life. That's not what I want to talk about. That's not ultimately what this passage is about. We live in a difficult world at a difficult time. We live in a fallen world. And as a result, bad things happen. Bad things happen to us. What Jesus does is he takes occasion with this question and teaches what we can do when divorce does take place. Now, immediately what he does is he answers their question with a question. Mark 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 3. Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. What Jesus says is that ultimately, Divorce happens because of sin, because of selfishness, because of hard hearts, maybe on the part of one or on the part of the other. Maybe both were guilty. Now, the Pharisees were asking Jesus this question because they wanted to trap him. They wanted him to then use to reject him or to encourage the people 
to reject him. But instead, what Jesus does is he takes the occasion to talk about something positive. Jesus goes on, verse 6. Jesus said, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. And this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Jesus goes back to the very beginning, and he quotes Moses. Jason read this passage for us earlier. Thank you again, Jason. Jesus says, God's purpose for the family is that the two become one. That the family become a unit. That they learn to live together and they function as a single unit. So, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, here and later, Jesus says that God's plan for the family is unity. But we live in a fallen world. It doesn't always happen that way. Bad things happen. Is divorce God's will? No. No, it's not. But then, neither is abuse. Neither is infidelity. Neither is a lack of love in a marriage. But the reality is we live in a bad world. Bad things happen. And when bad things happen to us, we can pick up the pieces and begin to move back into God's plan for the family. Jesus wants us to move back into God's perfect plan. And so he begins to describe family in terms of unity. We can come back. We can reform a family. He says the book of Moses says that a man leaves his father and his mother and then he cleaves to his wife. So he separates from one to form a new unity. This pattern is followed in the rest of the New Testament. Paul and the rest of the apostles agreed with Jesus Forming a family means forming a new unit. Forming a family implies unity. Now Peter talks about it in his epistle. Near the end of 1 Peter, he talks about what a husband should do with his wife, what a wife should do with her husband, what parents should do with their children, what children should do with their parents, and then he talks about what masters should do with their slaves and what slaves should do with their masters. And just so you understand, in that context, slaves were part of the household. 
They were treated almost as children. They were members of the household. In fact, when we read in the New Testament that so-and-so and his household began to follow Jesus, what it means is that mom and dad, all the children, and everybody who worked in the household came to the Lord. Paul talks about this. When he talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and he says, here are the type of people I want you to look for to pastor the new congregation. Here is how I want you to train them. Among the things that he mentions is this. This newly formed pastor must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man can't manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Paul says it starts at home. It starts with the way that a husband and a wife relate to each other. It extends to how parents relate to their children and how children relate to their parents. How siblings relate to each other. And in spite of what I've heard from some of your children, we don't have slavery today. But if we did, it would apply to them too because that's part of being a family. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I'm preparing for this message. I looked through the whole New Testament. I looked at all of the commands about what family members are to do to each other. Man, there's, it's not a huge list. It was enough that I could do it in a week. But it all boils down to four basic commands. First, we're to love each other. Now that seems obvious, but it's not. In Jesus' time, in Paul's time, a man and a woman formed a marriage not because they loved each other. Usually, a marriage was more of a business transaction. This girl's family can bring honor and resources to my son, so I'll arrange a marriage for them. If they learn to love each other, eh, nice, but certainly not necessary. Paul turns that on his head. He says, oh, no, 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 no. First and foremost, love. Love. A husband should love his wife. A wife should love her husband. Secondly, respect. Again, this was not something that was typical in Jesus' time. The wife should respect the husband, but the husband had no obligation to respect his wife. Again, Jesus and Paul turn that completely around. They talk about a mutual respect. A husband must respect his wife. A wife 
must respect her husband. Children must respect their parents, and parents are to respect their children. Submission. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. The final is a list of commands of what parents are to do for their children. Basically, they're to prepare their children for adulthood. Uh, some of the words used here are discipline, train, teach. They're to get their kids ready for living in a difficult world at a difficult time, just like they did. Let's go back to the word submission. Even the word sounds a little bit harsh to us. Somebody reminded me just before the service that wedding vows used to include the command to honor and obey your husband. And that's disappeared. I've been married long enough to know that uh, that's not the way to get a desired uh, response, to say, okay, you got to obey. That's, that's, that won't cut it. That won't cut it. And that's not what that passage is really, really saying. Paul talks about a wife submitting to her husband. But in the passage in which he does it, in Ephesians chapter 5, he starts off by saying, submit to one another. There is a mutuality in submission. Now the reason that that sounds so strange to us is because we have the idea that submission means that one person has authority and the other doesn't. The other person simply has to do what they're told. And that's not at all what those verbs mean. There is a deference in submission. There is a mutual respect and esteem for each other in submission. There is a consideration of each other. What Paul is saying is that as you work your way through a difficult place at a difficult time, you got to be talking to each other. You gotta work it out together. You've got to, in that sense, submit to each other. You've got to esteem each other, consider each other. The example that he gives is the example of Christ and the church. Christ loved. The church. He cared for the church. He provided for the church. Christ had authority over the church, but there was a respect, there was a love. He ended up giving his life for the church. The height of submitting to each other. For a husband and wife, what this means is that together they've got to work their way through a difficult world. 
They have to decide together how to exercise their authority over their children in their neighborhood, in their own sphere of influence. You know what? Our children are devious. Little secret, little secret. My kids, who are uh, worse than most, I think, uh, they learned very early on how to work dad against mom and mom against dad. Your kids may have never done that, but they do that by singling you out, right? Get one of them apart and ask them. We learned the hard way that we never say yes, we never say no. We always say, I'm going to talk to, to mom. I'm going to talk to dad. Then we come together and we talk about what do we need to do? How do we present a united front? You know, it's tough. It's tough. We never stop being parents. Even when we're grandparents, we continue to have influence. Now, how do we do this? Well, first of all, we've got to love each other. Again, it seems so obvious, and yet so much of what we do, we get into problems when we don't love each other, when we don't take the other person into consideration, when we don't actually prefer the other person over ourselves. We must love each other. We've got to spend time together. The world that we live in tries to draw us apart. So many things going on, and they're good things. They're not bad things. But it's very easy for us to be drawn apart from each other. Do you remember Chrissy and the bicycle wheel? We draw apart from each other. We draw apart from God. We have to find things that we enjoy doing together, no matter what that is. Even if we end up having a favorite TV show that everybody enjoys, well, let's watch it together. Let's enjoy the time that we spend together. We learn from each other. I've learned a lot from my kids. I've learned a whole lot from my parents. We worship together. Now this is why at the beginning of the worship service our children are here. Because we want them to experience worship with us. As parents and as adults. That's important. Love each other. Spend time with each other. Enjoy each other. Learn from each other. Worship with each other. Husbands and wives, parents and children, children with parents. All of us here in this room, married or single, we have kids or we have parents. We have siblings. That's family. That's family. That's where it all starts. 
You may recognize uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She spent her life ministering to uh, women in the streets of Calcutta, India. For years and years, she went unnoticed. Beginning in the early 70s, Malcolm Muggridge did a documentary that featured Mother Teresa, and suddenly she rose in fame. Within 10 years, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, she went to receive the prize. Typically, they would start with a banquet. At that time, the average cost of the banquet was around $150,000. She said, I will not go to the banquet. She said, I would prefer that you not have it. Instead, give the money to the hungry of India. They did. They did. In her acceptance speech, she finished by saying this, my prayer for you is that truth will bring prayer into our homes and that we will really believe and we will begin to love. We'll love naturally and we will do something about it. First in our own home, then with our next door neighbor, then in the country we live in, and finally, in the whole world. What she was saying is if we want to impact the world for world peace, we start at home. Go home. Love your family. That's where it starts. Take time with your spouse. Make sure that you do that. Don't take your spouse for granted. Take time with your spouse. Do things that you enjoy together. Take time with your children. Take time with your parents. No matter how old, how outdated they are. Go home and love your family. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.